Mac Power Users, episode 496, Hacking the Keyboard with Brett Terpstra. Hello, everybody. This is David Sparks, the Mac Power Users. Uh, Steven couldn't make it this week, but he'll be back next week. But in Steven's absence, we do have an old friend of the show. Welcome back, Brett Terpstra. Hey, nice to be here. The only guest that has a drinking game based on him in Mac Power Users lore. And yet, ironically, has quit drinking. Well, yeah, I, I barely drink, too. So there you go. You can, you can have a <laughs> seltzer water. Just take a hit. Just go crazy. Get the bubbles. Yeah. Put a little lime in there. Go nuts. I do drink a lot of LaCroix these days. And do you put lime in or lemon? A lemon, I prefer to lime. When I quit my job, the like the next day, I got kidney stones. It was great. It oh, was just, ouch. It was an awesome transition. And... The, uh, the urologist told me, drink water with lime or lemon in it every day. And uh, I take that seriously. So yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Stick to that. Well, we got to spend some time together a few weeks ago at MaxDoc. It was great seeing you again. As always, Mr. Terpstra is up to his eyeballs in cool stuff on his Mac. Uh, just looking at the outline today, we got a new version of Envy Alt, Envy Ultra, very imminent. Uh, Brett's been doing some cool brainstorming stuff where you've got home screen talk. Uh, uh, we got a lot to talk about today. But first, I just want to check in with you, Brett. We haven't talked for a while. What are you using these days for your gear? Well, I have the exact same machine I've had the last six times we've talked. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, it's then. <laughs> a, a 2014 MacBook Pro 15 inch Retina. It is on its last legs right now. Uh, around the time of Mac stock, the battery had started expanding inside of it and nearly broke the trackpad, but I yanked it out. Yeah. My computer, did you know that if you run one of these MacBook Pros without a battery, it clocks the CPU down to one gigahertz? I did not know that. I did not know that either. So I had planned to just run it off of wall power for the remainder of its life. But uh, running a one gigahertz machine is not feasible. I wonder why that is. I would seem like if it has juice. When you run it off of wall power, it's supplementing with the battery. Uh. So if your battery is at zero and you plug it into the wall, it's going to run sluggishly until it has enough capacity in the battery to supplement the, the energy draw. With no battery, it assumes it's going to be underpowered and just automatically clocks down. I had no idea that you had to have a battery in it when you plug it into a wall to get full power. The things you learn when you rip the battery out of your laptop. Yeah, and that, you've got the one where you, you had to unscrew the base, right, to get the battery yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you just order a battery and, and put it I in? I picked up a, a third-party battery from, I think it was Newegg or OT, Other World Computing. Yeah. OWC, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't remember which one now, but uh, yeah, it was... Uh, it was kind of cool. Like it didn't come with the screws I thought I needed because I didn't want to sort through all the screws I'd taken out to get the other battery out. Yeah. Uh, but it wedges in and doesn't need any screws. There's two screws total, whereas to take the old one out, there's about eight screws. So. Well, I, I think a lot of people don't realize that at, with an aging laptop, the battery is the first thing to go, and, <laughs> and it always will. And and you know it's really not that expensive or that difficult of a repair to replace the battery. Like I will say though, if you do the repair correctly, you are expected to take out 
all of the components and then the logic board so that you can get to the battery without risking damaging it. Oh my goodness. I well, did not bother to read back. the instructions. <laughs> I did it the dangerous way. Uh, fortunately, all worked out for me. But So if you go to OWC, they, they usually have a video or, or very good instructions as to how to do it. Yeah. The other way you could do it is you take it in an Apple store and if you write a check, they'll do it for you. And um, probably pay a little more. But if you don't feel comfortable, you know, digging into your machine. And honestly, with a laptop, if, it, if you're removing the logic board, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I feel like I don't do that enough to be comfortable knowing that I would get it back right. And those cables, every, you know, everything has to be perfect in those laptops. They're so tight inside there. But either way, uh, my point is, if you've got an older laptop, think about just replacing the battery in it because you'll be surprised how much life that puts back into the machine. And uh, and I didn't realize that it, the machine even when plugged in was using the battery. So that kind of explains one of the reasons why it, it feels snappier after you upgrade the battery. Yeah. So did it feel better? I mean, is it is it running better now that you put the battery in? It's back to running the way it did a year ago. Yeah. Uh, the battery had already, even before the service battery thing came up, Yeah. it was starting to, it would have a charge for about 20 minutes. So I should have replaced it a long time ago. Yeah. It's, it, you know, that's, it, it's something that's easy to put off because it still works, right? I mean, even though, you know, it's failing. Yeah. All right. So you got, got the new battery and I guess you got the 2014, so you don't have any keyboard issues. Uh, <laughs> you're kind of good, man. <laughs> if, if I could make this machine last forever, I, I probably would, but the no, keyboard wouldn't. is starting to wear out, uh, yeah. not in any of the butterfly keyboard ways, but my left command key is starting to uh, miss. Yeah. So like every fourth time I go to hit like command tab, I'm just hitting tab. That's annoying. That's an important key. I just had, I bought the, with the 12.9 inch iPad Pro, I bought the Apple cover case. Yeah. And, and now the space bar is getting wonky oh, no. on me. I don't know, you know. So like the smart keyboard? Yeah. I mean, the space bar. I mean, like you never need that. Uh, yeah, I can think of a few uses, but, and it just, it just stops working enough to be like, like, it's not like it doesn't work at all. It's just like, when I look at my document later, I'll see, Oh, look at that. There's a couple words stuck together. I don't know. I think I've, I've got this bridge keyboard. I think I'm just going to start using it full time and, and not worry about it. But, but the, um, but yeah, that's, I mean, is this, is the, is the 2014 machine too slow for you at this point? No, uh, it's if I knew it was going to not fail me and leave me with no computer, yeah, I would be satisfied with it. Uh, while I am always open to a faster computer, it's not slow enough to to like drive me nuts every day. Yeah, I feel like the you know the the air order of failure for people is number one battery, number two space. You know because. As you get an aging laptop, you just get a lot of bloat on the hard drive. And with these SSDs, Dude. there's just not a lot of room to play. Have you gotten one of these Samsung T5s, external SSDs? Yes. That thing runs almost, like, once you consider bottlenecks, it runs as fast as my internal SSD. Yeah. So I've been offloading a lot of stuff onto external SSD drives. I can even boot like Catalina for testing, I can boot off of one of those external SSDs yeah, and it feels like running my regular machine. I got a small one because I wanted to test out with iOS 13 and and saving to 
uh, you know, creating a drive to attach to my iPad Pro. I had this great idea that I was going to get it, and I was going to encrypt it, and then I was going to put a bunch of you know data that I wanted to keep encrypted but take with me on the road. Turns out iOS 13 doesn't support encryption, so so much for that. Um, huh. But, I didn't uh, realize that. But now it's going to become like where I put all my media on and stuff. When we go on vacation, I can have like all yeah. of the Star Wars on the little drive. <laughs> so that's good. Though. I'm glad that you've been able to get that much time out of it. And, and to hear Brett Terpstra is not like struggling against a CPU from 2014. <laughs> that should make the rest of us feel a little emasculated, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, other than compiling code, like I'm not editing a lot of video these days. Yeah. I'm not doing uh, web design and coding are basically low overall, low processor intensive. Yeah. Well, you're you're known, Brett, by so many of us as the guy on the Mac. I mean, you've come up with so much cool stuff on the Mac, and uh, but you also, I saw you uh, with a. Didn't you have a an iPad with you at Mac yeah. this year? Yeah, I got an, I got one of the 12.9-inch iPad Pros. What do you think? It is a great little device. Unfortunately, the two things I just mentioned, coding and web design, are not easy uh, to replicate on an iPad. So I use it mostly for uh, social media and writing. And it is great for both of those things. But... Instagram never came out with an iPad client, so it's a little crippled in that area, too. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to Mike Schmidt this morning on a phone call about, you know, where does the iPad fall down for us at this point? He was trying to figure out how to record a podcast with his iPad. Oh, yeah. Why, why can we not yet do a split two-channel recording? You got me, man. Podcasters have been talking about it for a long time. I'm sure Apple's aware of it. I guess it's just not high enough on the list. Yeah, I would love to be able to, you know, if not like a multi-party, but just a two-party podcast, I would love yeah. to be able to do on my iPad. Yeah, I for me, I feel like with iOS 13, I don't know, have you installed the beta yet? Uh, no. Okay. I'm not <laughs> developing for iOS. And I, don't, okay. I don't like breaking stuff is quite an improvement in terms of just like getting your work done the new safari you're gonna love it um but the um but uh, you know there's there's still a few rough points for me like as silly as it sounds i have to do a lot of microsoft word documents and you can't edit styles there that that's a rough patch for me sometimes like i've got these workarounds i've got where i've been getting around them but many of the the old kind of showstoppers for me uh, safari being one of them have gone away with ios 13 I, I i just think there's going to be a lot of people that find they can get more work done on an ipad than they thought they could after yeah. september yeah that's that's what i've been reading about i i i proof i don't proof i um i write most of the scripts that convert fetiches uh reviews into ebooks sure so i get advanced look at all of the uh all of the new operating systems yeah from Batichi's perspective well that's like a whole enterprise getting that thing done every year <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got the and then you've got the iphone too so you're you're all in with apple at this point I, yeah well i have been for a long time ever yeah. since the year 2000 yeah all right so ipad iphone mac i want to tell you about my keyboard solution though okay on which device all of them. Uh, all of them. Yes, I want to hear about this. So 
First, I got the Ultimate Hacking Keyboard. It's a pretentious name for a keyboard, but it lives up to it. It's a split keyboard. You can use it as a you know single piece or split it apart into an ergonomic design. And you can attach the feet so that it tents in the middle or tilts back or whichever way you want it to move. And, and then it's fully programmable. So you can, like, first thing, obviously, I made my hyper keys turn the tab key into sending all the modifiers at once. Yeah. Uh, not the tab key, the caps lock key. But I also have it so if I hold down the tab key, J, K, L, and I start to move my mouse for me. And I can click with my thumb. Uh, I can have complete control over what the function key does. Uh, what the There's an extra mod key, the space bar split. So the by default, the left half of it, I switched it to the right half. But I can make it do anything, um, which uh, I've gotten so used to it, it's hard to work without it. So as portable as my system may be, I always end up carrying around a big mechanical keyboard with me. This is crazy. Yeah, and then I found this thing. Uh, it's a little USB device that... It turns any keyboard into a Bluetooth keyboard. So I can plug my mechanical into that and connect it to my iPad. And as long as the device is charged up, I have a keyboard on my iPad. All right. So I need to just take a minute to describe this for the listeners. It's like, so you've seen split keyboards before, you know, like Microsoft has one. And usually they've got a big like aircraft carrier deck and they've got the the keyboard split on each side of it. Uh, the ultimate hacking keyboard looks like a keyboard that someone took like a scroll saw and cut it in half, but they cut it, they cut it by going around the keys, you know, so mm-hmm. like cut between T and Y and G and H, but then it's got this, like, it looks like, like walnut, like beautiful, like wood walnut inlays on the bottom of it. Yeah. They sell those separately, but if you get one of these, absolutely get the wrist rest, the palm rest. Yeah, and then it's got on your right, so you've got it, and it's got a cord between the two of them. And then on the right one, next to the space bar, there's a little uh, thumb trackpad, trackball. Okay, so those thumb pads aren't available yet. Ah, okay. I have a pre-order in for one for both sides, but they're still in prototype stage. Oh, When so you, they do you come out. one on each side? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, both 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 thumbs can have uh you have a choice between like uh what do they call those the little pointer ball uh like yeah. sticks. Yeah. Like uh you old, can have like that the, on the old uh um what was it the IBM yeah. Yeah, and then you can have a, a little a touchpad or a scroll wheel or, and then there's one one of the ones that I pre-ordered is a key cluster that gives you five extra keys by your thumb. You know how I like keys. Yeah, no, I mean I I, I'm the same way. I just we just did a show last week with an artist, and I was talking about on my extended keyboard. I love yeah. it because the number pad is a whole set of macros for me. I don't even use yeah. it as a number pad. It's just a it's a base for macros. Like that's one thing I would miss with this ultimate hacking keyboard. It doesn't have a number pad. Did I show you my Kibo? The Pomeroni Kibo. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Brett, you're always costing us money. That's what I do. This is a little Raspberry Pi kit that has light up 12 key keypad. Yeah. And it is, every key on it is programmable, including the LEDs for each key. Yeah. 
and uh, and you program. I can't remember what language it's in. Yeah, it was something I had to learn just to program this keyboard. But it gave me that extra twelve keys, as if I had an extra number pad on my computer. And if you don't want to do that, you can also just go and buy one of those game pads as well. Yeah. That would work. Now the 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 ultimate hacking keyboard is not wireless, right? It it plugs in. Yeah. Nope. And that's for that extra device I sent you. Yeah. Or the link to I didn't send you one. So the Bluetooth, you can make it Bluetooth to your Mac as well as your iOS device that way. Right. All right. And the USB on it is also pass through, so you can have it function as with the little button on it, so you can have it like switch between your Mac and your iPad with one tap of a button. Nice. Which I also have a an external for my iPad that does the same. You can like have multiple Bluetooth hooked up to it, but this is a mechanical that can do the same thing. Do you get to pick the cherry switches? I'm looking at the website. Do you get to pick your your cherry switch? Yeah, you actually mine are cherry brown, but you can get it with reds and blues too. Yeah. Wow, this is quite a keyboard. Then on the left keyboard, it's got a uh, an LED display, or I guess a liquid. Yeah. What is that? You can have multiple layouts and then yeah. switch between them, and that display shows you which layout is active. Sure, like it's QWERTY in the sample, so it's QWR. And mine is BMT because this is a completely custom layout, so it gets my initials. <laughs> Wait, so you made your own key layout for your keyboard well yeah i mean i customize it to the extent if you on my blog that photo with all the colored keys yeah like those are all custom so i kind of built my own with it which is entirely what it's for yeah (laughs) right i love it i love it how long have you had this thing um oh boy when was that article written you know almost a year i think yeah I wrote about it a, a month after I bought it. And the first article I wrote about, about it was August 17th of uh, 2018. Uh, this is a rabbit hole that I am going to be looking into after we record today. And me and probably several listeners will be cursing you. Do you want me to call and check on you after a while? Maybe. I might <laughs> need some help. I don't know. I, you know, this is a, I, I honestly, like there's part of me that wants so badly to become a keyboard nerd. But then part of me that, you know, the Apple one, it works fine. I'm not like that picky about it. And I like that there's no cord on my desk. You know, it's tough. Here, follow this link and just look at the headline image and you'll see how hard I've tried over the years to become a keyboard nerd. And that picture is like a graveyard of all my failed attempts. All right, I'll put this in the show notes. That's a lot of keyboards. I always came back to the older Bluetooth Apple keyboard, yeah. the one right before the Magic keyboard when they screwed up the arrow keys. Yeah, but you, but the ultimate hacking keyboard is now your beloved, your precious. Yep. It's the first mechanical I've ever stuck with. Why is that? I can't fully explain it. The feel of it, like usually when I start using mechanical, there's enough different about the feel that it takes me longer than I want to spend to stop making typing errors. With this one, I was instantly accurate. And I don't know if it's a matter of, I have never had one that split before. And I think my hands dealt well with splitting it apart and angling it in a little bit. Other than that, like the key travel is just exactly what my fingers wanted. I just, it sunk in for me right away. I bought the Keytron K1 keyboard. And I haven't written it up yet because it just never stuck with me. It's like they're half height 
cherry yeah. switches, and it feels mushy to me. Yeah. Just didn't work. But it was wireless, and I thought, well, that'd be cool. And and honestly, it's got the lights on it, the LEDs, and after a while, it's like a, it's like a carnival in here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that. Yeah. I should have no. got the one with just the white LEDs. I got the colors. I like the LEDs on that little Kibo, but I would not want light up keyboard. So it's called at ultimate hacking co- keyboard. Is that because you're hacking the construction of it or you're using it? What What's the H stand for? As far as I can tell, it's because you can make the keyboard whatever you need it to be for whatever kind of hacking you do. I mean, assuming you're hacking on a computer, but it's also it's open source, like everything that runs it is open source. So you can literally hack it any way you want to. Nice. All right. One last point on keyboards. Uh, you made mention of the, uh, I forget, what do you call your caps lock key? It's the, the hyper old, key. The hyper key. Yes. Um, I'm a big fan of that. And so what Brett's done, and he's talked about this on past episodes, rather than using a caps lock key as a caps lock, when you tap the caps lock key, it effectively acts as uh, pressing the four keys at once, shift, control, option, command, which is a great keyboard combination to add to macros and other things you want to automate on your Mac. And for the longest time, you uh, you recommended the application, it's slipping my mind, oh, what's the name of it? Carabiner. Carabiner. But it was, it was kind of hacky to get it to work, but Carabiner is now added to the basic setups that you can yep. just press one button and you get the Brett Terpstra hyper key. It should be named after you, honestly. Well, so here's the thing. And somehow the hyper key became mine, much like NVALT became mine against my will. Yeah. It was actually space something. Uh, I learned it from someone else and I always credited that person when I wrote about it and he named it hyper key. Yeah. So it's not mine, and okay. I thought it was I'm yours. happy to admit that. Yeah. I know everyone does. Everyone's like, "Oh, the Brett Terpster hyperkey." Yeah. But just to just to state for the record again, I didn't invent this. Well, I, in the keyboard maestro field guide, there's a whole video explaining how to set it up, and you get you get full credit. So. <laughs> Either way, yeah. if you guys have thought about that in the past and been intimidated by the work, it's much easier now. Just download Carabiner Elements, and you're good. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by ButcherBox. Thoughtfully sourced meat delivered to your door. Get two pounds of ground beef, two packs of bacon, plus $20 off your first box. Just go to butcherbox.com slash MPU. That's right, gang. This week, we're talking about meat on the Mac Power Users. That stuff you get at the grocery store, where does that come from? Do you really know? Well, the folks who deliver thoughtfully sourced meat from ButcherBox do. And right now they're offering two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon for free, plus $20 off your first box. So stick around to hear more about that. ButcherBox makes it convenient to get high quality meat that you can trust. So you can enjoy things like 100% grass fed and grass finished beef, free range organic chicken, heritage breed pork, wild Alaskan salmon, and bacon that's uncured, nitrate free, and sugar free. That's right, I said bacon. Here's how it works. You can choose from four curated box types, including a custom box where you can choose exactly how much you need. Each butcher box comes with at least 9 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual meals. And it's delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping. 
ButcherBox believes in a healthier food system where everybody has access to meat that's humanely raised and free of antibiotics and added hormones. And because ButcherBox works with a collection of ranches, it's able to cut out the grocery store middleman and pass those savings to you. So what I'm telling you is you're getting better meat and it's costing less. Go to butcherbox.com MPU to get $20 off your first box plus two pounds of ground beef and two pounds of bacon or just enter promo code MPU at checkout. Delicious meat at your front door. Does it get better than that? So go check it out. Butcherbox.com slash MPU or enter offer code MPU for that $20 off your first box plus two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon. Our thanks to Butcherbox for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Brett, I know you've been busy working with Envy Alt um, over the years. Uh, so many of us love that text editor that you had, you know, had this big role in. And you, you've been known, frankly, for the work you've done with text on the various devices for all of us. But I was super happy to hear that Envy Alt is about to make a comeback and you're collaborating with Fletcher Penny on it. Yes. So tell us about what's coming down the road. All right. So NV Alt was originally based on notational velocity, thus the NV. And once again, notational velocity was not mine, but NV Alt was, it started as a, a branch, a fork of notational velocity that I made on a lunch break back when I owned a design firm and didn't have as much time to code. Uh, it was a way to just try some things out. And I started adding things to it and eventually just named it NV Alt and kind of continued to fork. Like a lot of those changes were never pushed back into notational velocity and it kind of became its own monster. And I did support that for a decade, uh, or at least it seems like a decade, maybe. But then uh, the, the code base was old enough that it became questionable that I would be able to keep it running over the next few operating system changes. Uh, so I started working on a commercial replacement originally with David Halter. Uh, and then that hit a bunch of snags. And I had kind of started to tinker with the idea of giving up with giving up on it. And uh, it was a real uh, stress load for me because I had promised so many people something that had taken five years to go to beta and it never made it and like takes on a life of its own at some point. Right. So then Fletcher Penny contacted me and he's like, Hey, I don't want to step on any toes, but I've got this, this thing. And he described it and it was everything that I wanted the successor to NBL to be. Uh, and he was at that point already pretty close to code complete. So I said, Hey, can we team up? You know, I'll help with development. I'll especially help with uh, support and and uh, planning, branding, web design, all of that. So I am not the primary coder on this. Fletcher is. And, uh, and I'm doing everything I can to uh, make it a success as a marketable app. So we're turning, it's called Envy Ultra which is a play on Envy Alt. And we looked around for its own name to kind of drop the Envy, um, but nothing struck us as cool as Envy Ultra. So for the time being, that is what it's actually going to be called. And uh, it doubles down on the markdown. Uh, 
we envy alt was heavily geared towards using markdown and notes you still had the option to use rich text uh but no one that i knew was using it that way and i wasn't using it that way so nv ultra incorporates the full engine uh the the whole the editing system from multi markdown composer by fletcher penny yeah and uh it is advanced like for markdown editing it is highly advanced and uh it no longer features rich text as an option which i will stand by uh, it's upset some people, but I think by really? and large, <laughs> I feel like if you, if you wanted rich text, there's much better places to go than something like this. Yeah. Well, and RTF is, it's not a great format. If you really want rich text there, yeah, there are definitely better ways to go, better structured documents. So we dropped that and basically everything that NVL could do, it can do better, uh, with one small exception that i I, I want to get out in front of so we don't disappoint a bunch of people, but we're okay. So I have to start by saying, whereas NV alt and notational velocity worked with one folder uh, or one database and everything went into this one bucket, NV ultra can use any folder and immediately index it and give you the full speed search of that folder. But then you can have three different folders, three different buckets, and have them all open at once or switch between them. There's a little uh, quick open navigator that you can jump between all your folders instantly. Um, as a result, it no longer syncs with SimpleNote because SimpleNote requires that one bucket approach. Yeah. So I didn't realize how many people were going to be upset by that. I didn't realize how many people still relied on SimpleNote. So I, I'm putting it out there in advance. We may consider uh, an option to have a single folder dedicated to Simple Note in the future, but it's not on the immediate roadmap. Well, it, I, I was lucky enough to get in on the beta. I've just started using it, but it, it looks really good. And man, it pushes all of those NVL buttons yeah. that, that I'm used to. Like, you know, it's got that search bar at the top. You can create a new note just from the search. You know, the, the things that we really liked about NVAlt seem to be there. Uh, for the listeners who don't know Fletcher Penny, he's been on the show in the past. He's a physician, but also just a, a bang-up programmer. And he's the guy who also came up with the multi-markdown, um, I don't know, what you say? I got some variant. Variant? Yeah, flavor. The, or the fork or whatever you call it of, of markdown that, that brought in footnotes and a bunch of other features that the original markdown didn't have. And uh, he's been, he had an application, the multi-markdown composer for some time, but this, I, I can see your influence in it. I, I even like the font. I haven't seen that <laughs> font before. <laughs> Fletcher's fun to argue with over fonts. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet you guys are both pretty opinionated. I'd like to listen <laughs> in on some of those, those calls. <laughs> yeah, they are. It, it was part of the reason he wanted to team up with me was because he knew I was opinionated and had crazy ideas and... Uh, that the two of us, if we could find a way to uh, catalyze those very differing viewpoints on things, that we could reach something that was better than either of us would alone. And he was right. And the model for this application really is that um, you're going to have a folder, maybe you have multiple folders who you're working out of, but uh, NVUltra creates a bunch of text files inside that folder. Um, so it's ultra portable. I guess. Mm -hmm. 
and ultra compatible because at the end of the day they're just text files so you're never going to have a problem with uh with getting these or putting them somewhere else the uh i i think it's a i'm glad to see this coming back i know people listening you know when nv alt first showed up it was pretty much a mac world now it's a mac ipad and iphone world um can you talk about future plans for yeah. ios yeah well for the for the time being we're, we're releasing a mac version first but the engine that everything is based on is already ios compatible so there is a, a good probability that this will be followed by a, an ios companion no guarantees yet but it is absolutely feasible and possible and i think we would both like to see it Right now, though, because it is a folder of plain text files, you can throw it in Dropbox or on iCloud Drive and use something like OneWriter on iOS to access all your notes the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I love OneWriter. That is a very popular app. One, one thing that you used to do, I don't, do you still support that, that um, spreadsheet of text editors on iOS? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I read recently on your blog how that got smaller. Yeah, uh, there was this weird die-off. All of these kind of original text editing apps stopped being supported, and then over, uh, you know, a couple of iOS updates had stopped running and just kind of disappeared. So I had to go through the whole list and figure out what was dead weight. Lost about thirty percent of the list. Well, I mean, the the model was hard because people, what they they charge a few bucks for these text editors. <laughs> Yeah, and then, support them for decades. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you can't do that, right? No. So what is it about OneWriter that's, that tickles your fancy? Well, it's got that super fast search, just like uh, like the NV lineage. Not as fast as on my Mac, but I can find what I'm looking for very quickly. And then it's very extensible. Uh, you can write little macros for it to add anything from markdown formatting to draft style, send to other applications. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it seems to be the one that, that most folks are using these days for plain text. It's solid. Yeah. And it works great with NV Ultra. It does. So what's it like now? I mean, you this is kind of a, a different app for you. I mean, you've always come out with cool stuff, Brett, that like you put together on a lunch break and just put it out there. But this this needs to be a business for you at this point. I mean, I'm assuming you're going to sell this, right? Right. Yeah, there yeah. there will be a free trial but no free version of NB Ultra. Okay. Um we're going to sell it at a sustainable price. We're not going to go subscription with it. Both Fletcher and I I support apps that have gone subscription and I totally understand why developers do. But Neither of us wants to sell a subscription app. I do hope to get it onto SetApp, okay, and uh, and have some recurring income from it there. Mark has done quite well on SetApp for me, um, so we're going to find a price. We're still debating the exact price, but we're going to find a price that uh, will be steep by the standards of two years ago. But thanks to companies like Omni uh, coming out with real prices for their apps. Uh, I, I feel like the app market is finally regaining its footing and people are realizing that 99 cents is not enough for a good app. Well, I mean, that, that text editor spreadsheet is a good example. I mean, there were some great apps in there that are no longer supported. Right. And like Writing Kit was a great app, way too cheap. I can understand how that wasn't sustainable. Yeah. 
So, you know, we need, you know, as users, we, we don't want to overpay, but we also, if we're thinking about it, we really don't want to underpay either because we need the developers to be able to continue to make the apps great. And Apple is not, you know, taking its foot off the gas with new features with iOS and Mac OS right. and now iPad OS. So, you know, we want these apps to, to follow along. Like when you guys make an iOS app, I hope it supports dark mode and all the other stuff that they've added in iOS right. 13. You and, would want that. Yeah. I and mean, that costs money, you know? Yeah. Did you pick the font or did Fletcher? Uh, I picked most of the default stuff. Yeah. There are alternative themes. If you go up to like the view menu yeah. or into preferences, you there's different themes with different fonts and you have a choice between uh, like your standard Avenir and then a bunch of custom fonts that we debated. I spent hours going through like all the available fonts, yeah. uh, both open source and some proprietary and putting together little spec sheets for Fletcher. And then we would, I would narrow 500 fonts down to 50 fonts. And then we would pick our favorites and go with overlaps and debate others. And it was a long, arduous process, but uh, we both had input in the end. Can I, can I say the name of the default font or is that a sure. secret? It's, yeah, no, that's fine. It's Cambay. I, I don't think did did that come with the app. I'm not sure I even seen this app, this font before. No, it's a Google font that's embedded. Okay, it's nice looking. It's good for text. I think for uh, yeah for the kind of thing you do with NV Ultra. Yeah, yeah, very nice. And like you know, if you write Markdown, like creating links. I mean, it's just of course, if you put Brett and Fletcher together, you're going to get this is exactly what you would expect. Something that just makes Markdown much easier and more powerful. I agree. Copy a URL, select some text, and hit Command V, and you've already you've automatically created a, a markdown link without having to type any of the brackets or anything. And it does it for you. And I bet it's yeah. This this is going to be great. Drag an image into it. Drag any file into it. You can the 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 file list shows not just your text files, but any other. Because it works with subfolders, so you can yeah. have a folder full of images and then drag them from the list into your current note, and it will create the markdown syntax. And then there's the live previews, so you can actually see the image show up there. And this is coming soon. Yes, as soon as possible. All right. So if you're interested at all, there there is a beta sign up right now. How's that going? Running betas for a bunch of people. <laughs> Well, every time we think that we've gotten all the possible suggestions from the beta pool, we expand the pool. And we're at about 500 testers right now. And all of the sudden, the feedback like doubled. So now Fletcher and I spend time every day uh, not only solving bugs, but debating features and uh, getting feedback and then implementing things and releasing new builds. And it has become quite the full-time job, this whole beta thing. But then at some point you just got to ship, right? I mean, you can't, can't do it forever. Yeah, we, we are definitely, we have a, a Meister task board going where we, most new features are getting moved into like the, the 1.1 column or the 2.0 column. Yeah. And, it's like a Trello board, right? Sure. And so most of them are going on for roadmap for after ship. So we're not overloading the first release. 
if you're interested, and I think you should be, if you're listening to the Mac Power users, I guess the best place would be nvultra.com. Right. So that list is pretty long now, the waiting list to get onto the beta. But if you are a person who works a lot in uh, a non-English language that has special characters or a person with accessibility concerns, we want to test, especially with accessibility. But it's not localized in any other, other language. But if, you're, if you speak both English and another tongue, uh, we do want to hear from those people. So add yourself to the list, but also contact me directly through my website. And we will uh, accept a certain number of candidates directly into the beta. I cannot wait for this to release. I think a lot of people are going to really dig this. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Head to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get 20% off your subscription. It's been a while now since 1Password version 7 was released. Have you got it installed? If not, you should. With 1Password version 7, there's a lot of great new features. To begin with, the 1Password mini browser has been completely redesigned. Every pixel has been reimagined to give you more information and control, so you can keep all your passwords, credit cards, and other information right at your fingertips. But there's more than a pretty face to this updated version. They've also updated Watchtower and security. Data breaches happen all the time, and if you use 1Password 7, Watchtower alerts you if any of your passwords have been compromised and need to be changed. It also keeps track of expiring items like credit cards and passports, and warns you of unsecured websites. Watchtower now integrates twofactorauth.org so you'll know when you aren't using two-factor authentication on a site that supports it. The new version also fully supports dark mode on the Mac. It looks great. I love the way the colorful icons look against that dark background. I even use it sometimes when my Mac is not in dark mode. Now, if you're still using 1Password 6 with Safari, you'll need to either upgrade to 1Password 7 before the Mac OS Catalina comes out later this year, or switch to another browser. So if you're using Safari, get on 1Password 7 now so you can get it all sorted out before the big upgrade happens in a couple months. With 1Password 7, both the Windows and Mac apps were completely rebuilt to give you the most powerful and streamlined password experience ever. My favorite bit about the new design is the sidebar that lets me see all of my accounts and vaults with a single glance. Either way, head over to onepasswordcom MPU once again, that's onepasswordcom MPU. Make that in all caps and you'll get 20% off your subscription. Our thanks to 1Password for supporting Mac Power users. Now, Brett, when we were at uh, MacStock, you gave a presentation on kind of project management stuff and talked about, was it uh, Taskmeister? Yeah. Oh, MeisterTask. MeisterTask, sorry. Uh, and it, my, well, it gets confusing because their other product is MindMeister. So they keep reversing it. That was right after my talk and I was cooked. So I just went and <laughs> got a drink, honestly. So then everybody came to me, oh man, Terpster's talk was amazing. So tell us a little bit how you're managing. I guess I would imagine NV Ultra was probably a good reason for you to, to bone up on project management. You're working with another person. You've got deadlines. Yeah. So how are you doing those things these days? So the talk was about... Um, 
my writing workflow, which is basically the same as all my workflows, but uh, it was about the process I used to get past the blank page syndrome, yeah, which involves then a lot of task management and brainstorming tricks. Yeah. So now that I've clarified that, I forgot the question. I just, I mean, I just wanted to kind of talk through the task management and brainstorming process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, I and won't... Meister task was a lot like Trello. I didn't yeah, realize that. It, yeah. it is almost a, it's almost a Trello clone, but it adds a lot better uh, dashboard management and uh, having multiple boards. You get a single dashboard and communication with everyone. Um, I haven't used Trello in a long time, so I don't, I don't know where that app's at these days, but Meister task has been a great uh, collaborative task management tool for me. All right. So how does it fit in? Like, maybe let's just talk about it in relation to your development of MP ultra. Basically it gives Fletcher and I like any Kanban system, the ability to have one column that's just brainstorming. These are features we'd like to discuss, uh, possibly implement. And then we can have discussions on each task, uh, like in line with that task. And if, if it's decided we're going to f- go forward with this, it gets moved into like an open column or an in-progress column and assigned to one or the other of us. And once it's done, uh, we can have any further discussion on it and then mark it off and, uh, and archive it. And then we can have columns for future uh, roadmap points uh, to, to move things off uh, the current plate, but keep them in line. And uh, Kanban in general just works really well for that kind of, not quite an agile workflow, but, uh, but a collaborative uh, workflow with a lot of flexibility. Now, and Kanban, I believe, really got its start with software development. Yeah, with agile workflows. Yeah, and the first time I ever saw it implemented was actually analog with note cards, where they mm-hmm. would just stick note cards to a board. And the idea of it, if you've never heard of it before, it's, it's columns of categories of work or statuses. I guess status is probably the better term. Like Brett was saying, you know, there's, you know, brainstorm ideas or there's probably a, ca- a, a column with Brett's name on it or. So the columns would be like in this case, uh, one would be called inbox, which is the brainstorming. Yeah. And then there's an in progress or open, basically like things that are going to happen. Once it, once you take a task and you assign one of the members to it, then it can go into the in-progress column. And then from there, it'll either go into completed or it'll go into canceled or off to one of the future columns. And the whole idea is you get cards that, that make their way across the columns until they're completed, canceled, or otherwise disposed of. Right. And it's it's very powerful. I Although it started out as a software thing, I think this is useful for any group of people that are um, working together on a project. I actually use it solo too. Oh, do you? I was going to yeah. ask about that because you know, for me, all this stuff is managed for me with the templated OmniFocus projects. Right. And, and it is for me as well. I like I only use Kanban in, in uh, specific brain tor- brainstorming contexts. Okay. If I'm doing it on my own, if I'm trying to figure out what posts I'm going to write for a day, uh, I keep a, uh, a Kanban board where all of my kind of post ideas sure. 
uh, anything I've thought of that I might write about at some point, and that's the inbox. And then I can use the columns to kind of sort and track what I'm working on because I start a lot of articles that I don't finish right away. Yeah. So it helps me just kind of like agile workflow my way through getting a post out on the blog. And visually putting the post ideas on cards does, I think, sometimes tickle other parts of your brain. Yeah, exactly. And I could do all of this in OmniFocus, uh, but I tend to keep OmniFocus for hard to do tasks. And my blog isn't, it's not my primary source of income. Uh, I like to keep a presence up there, but if I need some time off from it, I'm free to do that. Yeah. I don't consider those hard due date tasks, uh, which is what I generally like OmniFocus to be. Gotcha. Well, even if not, not even without due dates, I like them to be definite things I'm going to do. Yeah. I, I do like though, the idea of this Kanban system for folks considering it who never considered it because it's just a different way of project management. I think in a lot of ways it's more accessible and with a group in particular, it does a lot of things. Like I'm thinking back to when I was, I used to work on some bigger kind of trial things. I'm trying not to do that kind of stuff these days. But when I was, there was multiple paralegals, sometimes multiple attorneys, expert witnesses, something like this could have been really useful to share amongst the group. So everybody knew exactly what they were responsible for and everybody could see what the progress was of everything everybody was doing. Yeah. And it's just a nice summary way to do it. So, so Meister task. And, and then how did you come across this one? It's a web-based tool. That's a, an essentially a Kanban board. I have been for years, a huge fan of their other product, uh, MindMeister, which is a collaborative mind mapping application that is excellent if you ever want to mind map with somebody. And then they came out with, uh, in the last couple of years, they came out with Meister Task. And I I had been such a big fan of MindMeister that I'd actually been, I'd gotten to know the people behind it. In, a, in an online sense. And they let me know that they had this new product and wanted me to try it out. And I immediately, I, I was first able to sink my teeth into it because you could convert a MindMeister map into a project. Yeah. And just take your brainstorming map with any attached due dates and whatnot and just immediately port the map or any branch of the map as a, a ready-to-go Kanban board. Uh, so that made it easy to start testing. And once I got into it, I started inviting people to join various boards for whatever I was working on. And it always seems to go over well with people. And it just kind of became my central place to collaborate. Didn't MindMeister also make a product that did really cool online collaborative Gantt charts as well at one point? No, I don't think so. I must be confusing them with somebody else. I don't know. The only, yeah, there was one mapping tool that combined Gantt charts online. Uh, what was Mind Manager on the Mac used to do Gantt charts? Yeah, I don't know. I never liked Gantt charts much. Yeah, well, they, they can work. It just depends on what you're doing. But like Meister Task, I'm thinking back when you and I wrote those 60 tips books, this would yeah. have been perfect for that. <laughs> would have been. Yeah. Except when you'd see, like, uh, during various times of production, one of us would be sorely behind the other. <laughs> and it just depended on which one. I mean, it wasn't just one or the other. There were both of us. At any given time. Yeah. <laughs> it was usually me, let's be honest. Well, it was me too, on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're using uh, Meister Task. I like that. 
And then uh, what was the other big app you were talking about in terms of getting your writing flow going? Oh, Curio. Yeah, that's another one that I have played with in the past. I think I've even written about it in Max Sparky, but I've never, it's just never took with me. And that's a Mac app as well that is kind of, it's kind of very similar to what you're talking with the with uh, MindMeister. I would isn't it kind of like a kind uh, of it's it's extensive. So the the idea behind Curio is you have uh, spaces. Yeah. Uh, so you have a left sidebar and a, a space is like a a page. It's a free form, open environment that you can drag in mind maps or Google Docs or. Uh, note cards, any kind of, they're called figures. And you can start building your space out with all of these different types of information. And you can also drag in any external files. You can drag an email to it and it'll put a preview of that email in there and then link back to the original uh, with quick look of any uh, non-image, non-text file types you put in. And uh, so you can build you know, and you can draw like, uh, let's say this is my column for contacts involved in this project and then just start dragging contacts into that column that you can then move as a single figure. So you have this super flexible open space that functions like its own desktop kind a of ca- thing. A canvas that you can work yeah. on. Yeah, good word, canvas. Um, and then th- what always impresses me and sells me on Curio is that I can copy any idea space or any part of an idea space as Markdown, as OPML, as a mind map, uh, anything I need to do, which makes it ideal for getting started with a writing project. Like I have a dozen different ways I start a writing project, but if it's a larger piece with a lot of research, a lot of references, a lot of information, a lot of brainstorming, Curio is kind of an ideal place to gather all of that and then easily export it into a Markdown document that I can start fleshing out. Yeah, and it it goes pretty deep. I mean, it's got layers. It's I mean, it, mm-hmm. you can do a lot with this app. And I'm not like I'm not invested in it day to day. Like I don't use it for everything. Yeah, you could, and it's got like whole task management systems built into it and everything. I use it one project at a time, basically. Um, It's not my always go-to application, but when I do need it, when I do use it, it is extremely complete and constantly impressive. It's nice looking. Now, if someone uses this and they go over to iPad, is there a way to share the data or is this mainly a Mac thing? I don't think there's an iOS viewer for it. Um, I know that there's a Curio core version. So people who aren't Curio users can still open up your workspaces. Yeah. And you can share stuff that way. If they are Curio users, you can collaborate between people on Macs. I don't think there's an iOS companion. Nice. Well, it's, uh, it's quite impressive. And I, it, every time I look at this app, it, I'm like, oh, I should be using something like this. I, I do like the way um, it does let you put so many different data sources in one place. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And so that's where you go to kind of start your big writing projects. Yeah. After you mind map it. Well, I can mind map in, in Curio. I do often prefer to mind map in iThoughts, though, which does have a great iOS companion. Yeah, it does. 
And then at some point, you got to start writing the words. And I would guess you are in Envy Ultra for that at this point. Actually, I've always been a fan of Multi-Markdown Composer. <laughs> You're not using your own app? Well, so I consider Envy Ultra, um, it's a place for notes. Uh, I don't write long pieces in my notes app. I take my notes and turn them into long pieces in Multi-Markdown Composer. Sure. You could, you absolutely could. But one thing that uh, Multi-Markdown Composer has that MVUltra does not is the table of contents because it is designed for longer notes. And the table of contents, when I bring in one of these brainstorm files, it's usually a bunch of headlines with sparse paragraphs between them. Yeah. And with the table of contents in MMDC, which is an abbreviation for Multi-Markdown Composer, I can drag those around in the table of contents and reorder the document. You can also, uh, a nice feature with Multi-Markdown Composer is you can, you can just see the current section you're working on. And uh, I really like that. It has a ton of powerful features, a lot of which are in NVUltra. But our, our philosophy was kind of... NVUltra should be for a quick note. So some of those features, like the table of contents, we would want, like personal, personally as users, we would want to do those in an app designed for long-form writing. Yeah. And NVUltra really strikes me as the modern version of NVUltra. I mean, that's what it's intended to be. <laughs> Perfect. You know, but it, it looks better. And yeah, frankly, the, I know some folks are unhappy with the multiple folder data source, but for me, that makes it more useful because I can actually set series of notes based on different areas of my life and to see those with different folders. Yeah. I kind of like that. I mean, like I have too many notes is my problem. Like when I try and run this out of Apple Notes, I'm over 1,200 notes. I'd much rather have it down to three or four libraries and say, okay, the Max Barkey stuff or the legal stuff. Totally. Yeah. That's the way I feel as well. Because, I mean, we all have very separate contexts. Yeah. Well, I think most people do anyway. Like, even if it's just work and home, like those notes don't have crossover. It makes sense to not keep them in one bucket. Agreed. Agreed. Well, that's pretty uh, impressive uh, workflow you got there. Uh, the nice thing is it sounds to me like you don't have so many steps that it's getting in the way of actually writing the words. I guess the biggest reason I love my scattered workflow is I keep everything interoperable. Like I can use any two pieces of my workflow together. Yeah. They all, you know, they all import and export in portable formats. It's easy for me to get where I'm going, no matter which route makes the most sense at the time. Yeah. And as an ADHD person, <laughs> it's important that whatever route I go ends up working for me. And for a writing workflow, it's important that at some point you're, you're staring at a blinking cursor. Right. Do you ever do writing in Curio? Um, yeah, I, I will use it to start paragraphs. By the time I get to fleshing out and, you know, editing, uh, writing out the long form version, no, uh, it's, it doesn't have nearly the text engine that any markdown editor would have. Sure. Like I'll write in iThoughts too. I'll use the notes on a node to start writing a paragraph uh, instead of making really long mind map nodes. Yeah. I'll, I'll write out what I was thinking about something 
in its notes, because then when I export that as markdown, it's already I have starter paragraphs, basically, in whatever app I end up editing in. Yeah, it makes sense. One last thing about your writing workflows, you have in, in the past, you've put tools together that do some some sort of grammar analysis. Yeah. You know, the basics, you know, like looking for repeated words and whatnot. Are you doing that with your own writing? Any of that analysis? If so, how are you doing it? Yeah. Most of what I do is through Marked, which yeah. is my my main commercial application up until NB Ultra is released. And it can do uh, your basic grammar and spelling checking. It can show me repeated words, cliched words. Uh, the plain English dictionary is incorporated into it. I don't know if you've ever visited yeah. that, but it yeah. uh, helps you figure out where you need to use a more descriptive or, or uh, less uh, robust word for something. Uh, it's hilarious when I run like contracts through that stuff. Like, yeah, because a bunch of it's like inherited text. Right. You know, it's right. like, do you really need that here and after there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's all built into it. And uh, I tend to just load my text up in marks to not only see how it's going to look on the blog, but also run all of those uh, analysis tools. Yeah, and you can get marked. I mean, Mark, is, we haven't talked about it, but in shows past we have. It's marked is a tool that Brett made that you can take your markdown text and see it formatted. That was the, in my mind, the, the original idea of the app, and since then it has become so much more. Like it's doing grammar analysis. It's doing the the important part is that it tracks the file it's viewing. Yeah. So it's showing you the rendered preview, and every time you hit save as you're editing the same file it's updating the preview with no extra work on your part. So it basically adds a live markdown preview to any text editor, including like Vim or Emacs. Yeah. But I mean, it works with Scrivener files. It's like every time I open the app, Brent has added <laughs> some new amazing feature. This code preview. I just, it I even works laugh. with Highland and Fountain IO now. <laughs> That's new. When, when did you add that? It's kind of, it's been there for a long time. I've never, it's never been a major selling feature because people using Fountain are, it's a much smaller audience than, yeah. uh, but, but John August has worked with me to make sure that as they release new versions of Highland, that Merck keeps up with the file formats and everything. Yeah, I would know because I've never used that app, but yeah, that makes sense. Of course, of course you support it. <laughs> but but you can get it at markdapp.com or if you're a setup subscriber, as Brad said earlier, you can get it right as part of your setup subscription. Yep. But it, it's just another like if you work in text, I think it's a tool you should have. Speaking of setup, I did put out a script a little while ago that will go through your applications folder and tell you if you have apps on your drive that are also available on setup because using the app. Using the set app version of an app you already have, make sure that part of your monthly set app fee is going to the developer of that app. Uh, so it is, it is a kindness to use the set app version, which is always exactly the same. It's required to be the same. I never thought of that, but you're right. Yeah, I'll, I'll find you a link for that script. It makes it easy. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniGraffle. Precise, beautiful graphics that anyone can make. OmniGraffle is the application the Omni Group makes to help create beautiful diagrams and designs. It's an easy-to-use app that I've been using for years for basically all of the graphics in my life. 
I started using OmniGraffle as a tool to make diagrams for things I was doing in the legal practice, but that quickly grew because OmniGraffle is really easy to use. And once you figure it out, it's no trouble to start expanding your usage for other things. As a result, not only do I use it for the graphics for my law practice, I also use it for exhibits on trial work. I use it for the illustrations inside the Max Sparky field guides. Just a few weeks ago at Max Sparky, I published a bunch of good notes templates for making a digital diary. All of those were made in OmniGraffle. In fact, I published the OmniGraffle files. So if you've got the app, you can download them and play with it in OmniGraffle. The thing that makes OmniGraffle so great is it has both power and ease of use. In terms of power, you've got layers, resolution independence tables, there's an artboard presentation mode and interactive actions. If you draw something on the screen, it automatically centers as you drag it around. If you attach an arrow to an object, the arrow follows the object as you move it around. A bunch of things that I would never think of as someone who doesn't make my living making graphics, but are immediately easy to see and use as someone who doesn't make their living making graphics. And like I said earlier, OmniGraffle is an excellent diagramming tool. You can explain anything from a simple family tree to a complex system theory with a diagram. And you can use charts to represent data and processes with symbols, graphics, and connecting lines. Diagramming in OmniGraffle is made extremely easy with those powerful tools. It's automatic, robust, and ready for styling. And I haven't even mentioned the stencils and libraries. There's a whole collection of stencils made by OmniGraffle folks and outside people that are available to download and use inside the application. Whenever I'm making presentation graphics, it's those stencils that always come in so handy to get me exactly what I want. OmniGraffle is a powerful tool that will not overwhelm you. If you need help with your graphics, why not do it yourself with OmniGraffle? Go to the website at omnigroup.com, click on the OmniGraffle button, and download the free sample and try it for yourself. And make sure to let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. So, Brett, um, we, you know, we're trying to uh, talk to guests about home screens lately. And uh, if you haven't signed up for the Mac Power Users newsletter, we, we send out the newsletter that goes out with each episode with a copy of the, of the uh, guest's home screen. We'll also put it in the show notes so you can just see it if you tap in the show notes. But but Brett sent me his home screen, and I feel like this is one that we, we have to talk about. <laughs> oh, dear. I just, you know, I just, it's just, there are a lot of folders and there are a lot of apps on your iPhone. Oh, that's page one, but there's only three pages. So no, there's only two pages. I, I, it's a lot of folders, but only two pages. So I feel okay about that. I think I know what you're going for, but explain it for us. Cause at the top, you've got a, there, there's a, the one password is an app and there's three apps on the bottom. And other than that, they're all folders, but explain what you're going for with these folders. Okay. Well, first of all, the three apps on the bottom are usually, it's a rotating, they're apps that I need access to at the time, but don't necessarily need on the home screen all the time. Yeah. Did you, did you know that if you force touch the Find My iPhone app, you can get shortcuts to the devices? So every time my girlfriend loses her phone, I'm two taps away from pinging it for her. Yeah. And it's even better with iOS 13. They call it now contextual. Right. So, so it'll work on iPad as well. Yes. And that app, that app has changed too, but whatever. It, I, I think they did that. Now you can find people and devices. With right. One app. It's, it's find my everything. Yeah. Yeah. But the folders. 
all of my folders are named with verbs, capture, communicate, play, read. So then it's it's very contextual. They're, I think they're what you would expect, but like the capture folder includes both uh, camera apps, scanner apps, uh, even some like voice memos is in there. Uh, it's not text capture stuff because that goes under write, which I guess makes sense to me. Yeah, and, and that's all that matters, right? That it makes sense to you right. because when you're setting this up, what's the first place you would go to when you think of that? Right. And that's that's how those folders are created. Uh, I if I I start by creating what I consider the basic folders, and then as I start dragging apps into folders, if there's not one that instinctively feels right to me, uh, that makes sense, like this is where I would look for that app, then I'll usually end up making a new folder. Uh, at least if I can think of several apps that would go in the same category. Yeah. And then I try to keep my, <laughs> my home screen li- limited to 20 folders so that I have that bottom row open, which is a holdover from olden days when that was the easiest way to swipe. Yeah. But the, those spaces at the bottom become, like I said, kind of roving in essentials. And then you have a couple folders in your dock as well. Right. Uh, the first folder in my doc is called Gravitate. And uh, those are apps that are, there's a 50% chance that if I open my phone, it's one of those apps that I want. So they're right there, right next to my left thumb. And then the second one is uh, kind of business apps, uh, Fantastical and Dropbox and OmniPlan and to-do stuff and organization stuff, which could easily go in a work folder up top. I just, I have a little space in my doc, so use them. Yeah. I've been playing because I'm on the beta, the, with iOS 13, uh, shortcuts from the home screen are a lot smoother. Like in the iOS 12, it would jump to Safari first and the whole process felt a little, a little rickety to me. And now it's, it's much cleaner. So I've been experimenting with the same idea kind of coming from a different angle I really like the idea of contextualizing your phone, though. And I think you're on to something to say, you know, I go to this place when I want to do something that's writing. Or you've got one, like you've got one called read. And anything you want to read, you go to this place and that's all your reading stuff. Right. Um, How long have you been doing it this way? Oh, years. Yeah. It works. I mean... Just, I've really been experimenting seriously with it just for a couple of weeks, and I can already see. For me, the idea was oh, I've even like because I'm using shortcuts. I've done contextualization of my various interests, like the Max Sparky versus the lawyer versus the dad, and I right. I literally have very focused like websites and apps and different things all under these shortcuts. But the uh, I like what you've done here. Now, you do you use the three D touch or what's about to become contextual touch much? I love three D touch, yeah, slash contextual touch. I hope it never fully goes away because the, when you're using folders and one of the apps in the folder has a badge notification, you can force touch that folder and jump right to the apps that actually have notifications. Yes. Stuff like that is it makes perfect sense to me. I understand why Apple like touted it as a new feature when it came out, uh, and somehow it never caught on. They kind of stopped talking about it after a while because 
most people, you'd bring it up for them or bring it up with them and they would have no idea what you were talking about. I've got a post half written on this. I kind of have a theory that because it was inconsistent, like there were some phones that worked on and some that it didn't. And then it it's doesn't- It's kind of like Apple script. It was up yeah. to every developer to implement it in their way. And there was a lot of inconsistency in that. I also think that the fact that it didn't exist at all on iPad has been a problem because people, I feel like th something like this, you need to start using everywhere to really appreciate it. But with iOS 13, they've really put the hammer down on this because it, it's better now. I mean, they, there's more options. It's, and it works on all devices. And, and also the force touch thing, I think was unintuitive for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, it felt, it always felt weird to me force pressing on the phone. Not that I thought I was going to break the glass, but it's just like, that's something that would not come natural. Well, Hey, what if I just press this really hard, you know? Um, whereas now it's just a long press, but there's kind of a rhythm to it with iOS 13. It's like, there's a little bounce and you lift right at, I mean, you've got to figure it out, but I think this is going to become a bigger thing. I hope it does. Yeah, me too. Me too. I sent you a, uh, a life hacker article I wrote on 3D Touch. And I could not believe the number of comments after the article that both on the blog and direct, direct to me or on Twitter uh, from people that really had no idea that their phone could do this kind of stuff at all. Yeah, it's crazy because a lot of the stuff you spend time opening and navigating apps, in fact, most of the stuff if the developer knows what they're doing is fully accessible without even opening the app using that that 3D touch or about to be right. called contextual touch. Uh, that's the one thing I miss with this this shortcut experiment is that I don't have access to the app icons that I'm not using. And so I, I've actually put folders at the top. I just have four folders, but I've always named mine after verbs too. Mine are mine are make, learn, fix, and play. Those are the four I use. And so I only what's, it, what's in fix. Just like settings. Oh, okay. Um, I also have like, I don't know, but in my, you know, when you're, if you're going to take this approach, gang, the trick is just use whatever your brain thinks because you, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what somebody else does. It matters what you think. But I put like meditation and workout and fix too because I'm fixing myself the way I think of it, you know. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, all the various, you know, home, you know, automation stuff and VPN. And, yeah. and, you know, just like, so fixed for me is kind of like a utility, I guess, uh, among other things. A lot of that falls under nerd for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, nerd, nerd, nerd is a verb. Uh, yeah. I like, I like that you have one called nerd. That's my favorite one. You also have one called filter. And I guess that's all what photo filters. Yeah. Because there's all these things that they're not designed for photography. Yeah. They're designed for playing with images. So yeah. it goes under filter. Yeah. See, I've, I've got those under make, but because I only have four folders, there's a lot of swiping if I want to get to that stuff. Right. Yeah. I don't like to have more than three pages within a folder. Yeah. Maybe what I should try is to, uh, to, to put the Terpstra method on page two and the shortcuts on page <laughs> one and just there see which go. one I gravitate to more. But uh, this is really nice. Now, I also see that you use Launch Center Pro. Yeah. And you've got that in your dock. I, I use it mostly for the uh, Force Touch. I have it set up so when I long press it or force press it, uh, I can create a new draft in drafts, a new document in OneWriter, a new task in OmniFocus, or a new event in Fantastical. Yeah. I can also use the quick actions there to launch various apps. 
With OmniFocus, I have a Siri shortcut, which is just a choose from menu shortcut that has basically all of my OmniFocus scripts in it. Not only can yeah. I create a new task, like if I have a block idea, it opens up and fills out all the tags and everything for a blog idea. And all I have to do is type in the name of the idea and then it adds it. But then where it really gets meta is I've got, because I've got all these templates. Using OmniFocus, I have templates to, I've templated out most of the projects I make on Max Sparky and legal side. So if someone wants me to make a new company for them, I hit uh, the Omni Select, I call it Omni Select, and then I hit legal templates and then new company, and then it does it. But it, the whole thing is just going through these nested shortcuts to get to shortcuts. Sure. And um, But all that's done from the home screen, which is nice. Do you use the NFC stuff with um, Launch Center Pro? That they've started supporting that. I haven't yet. Yeah. I look forward to playing with it. It's exactly the kind of thing that my brain wants to play with. Yeah. I just haven't yet. I just bought a, a, a bag off Amazon for like 10 bucks. It's like 10 NFC keychains, you know, like uh, keychain dongles. And I'm thinking about putting one on my wife's and doing something with shortcuts, but I haven't decided yet. Maybe. Uh, I can see definite uses for it in like uh, having one on your car dash when you get in the car. Yeah. I feel like um, Launch Center Pro, we did a whole episode on it on automators, but Launch Center Pro and the new stuff with shortcuts like automation on ios is something that's becoming real and honestly you haven't done a lot of that or at least you haven't published a lot of that most of what i've done i felt like other people have already done better i'm late to the game there but i'm really enjoying using everyone else's scripts on ios and i'm hoping that we find a happy medium between mac and ios yeah like i don't want mac to just get shortcuts uh, there's too much power in Mac automation that yeah. it would be crippling to just port shortcuts over. But if we could port shortcuts over and maintain some of the like scriptable actions of Automator, I could be a, a very happy camper. Automator never offered the ability to do if then or to do any kind of branching or logic looping. Shortcuts is great at that. Yeah. I mean, workflow is great at that. Shortcuts is great at that. If they brought that to Automator, I would be a happy camper. Yeah, and I just don't think they will, you know. I think Automator is going to die. Yeah. I think that Shortcuts will provide something on the Mac that can be equivalent. I, I mean, they're removing all of our scripting languages. Yeah. Or eventually will be. Which means I don't think they're going to allow like a Perl script in an Automator action anymore. Or in a shortcut. But with the way they've opened up the ability of app developers to create actions for Automator, which mm -hmm. in essence, it's much more extensible. I mean, if you think about Automator, I've been thinking about a lot. I'm working on another field guide on it. But the, um, you know, the only actions we have for OmniFocus are the one that the Automator team put in. But what if Omni Group could donate their own? Well, now they can with iOS 13. And then you start thinking about people who want to make, what if somebody made some sort of terminal app and then you could donate that and then suddenly Automator gets way more, I'm sorry, uh, Shortcuts gets way more powerful. Yeah, that could be cool. I hope that you embrace it and start publishing on it because I think a lot of us would like to hear what, what Terpster is doing with automation on iOS. We'll see what happens. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase.
for me and so many of the people around me, Squarespace has been the solution to putting anything on the internet. Whether you're making an online store, portfolio, blog, whatever, Squarespace can help you do that. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed, and that's why I love it so much. Because in the past, I used to use web services that required me to install patches, and if I didn't get it right, my site was vulnerable. And even then, sometimes the plugins didn't work, and it just seemed like I was spending all of my time trying to manage the website instead of create content for the website. And when I made the switch to Squarespace, that problem was just solved for me. Don't you like it when problems get solved? You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered for you. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. And I'm living it, folks. I'm living the dream. I've got a Squarespace website for Max Sparky. I've got one for my legal practice. And they just work for me. I don't have to worry about making sure everything's up to date. I don't have to worry about getting hacked. Squarespace has got my back. They've been watching me. They've been watching out for me for many years, and I've never had a problem, and I love that. And Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. But you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash MPU. Don't forget that part, MPU. That's important to us. When you decide to sign up, use offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Brett, tell me about some of those apps you're using that none of us have ever heard of and we should. On iOS or on Mac? Any, anyone, man. What, wherever it's uh, making you happy. I'm super into the app Tower on Mac right now. It's, uh, it's a Git client. So I guess it's mostly for coders. Yeah. But it's for anyone who also gets, you know, uh, bogged down in command line stuff. It does. It lets you do everything Git can do, including complex stuff like ref log operations and uh, cherry pick rebases, uh, all of these things with a drag and drop interface. And it is super smooth and really nice. You can use it for writing projects. You can use it for graphics projects. Like people should be using version control. Everyone should. Yeah. But it's hard to get into because a lot of it requires command line work. And not everyone wants to do that. It looks like Tower kind of solves that for you. Yeah. And I like the command line and I can do most of it on the command line and I still love using Tower. Yeah. The idea of a repository, not just for code, but for text as well. It's just like the Kanban thing. It's something that starts out as a good solution for programmers, but can expand beyond. And we're, I think we're at the very beginning of that. Well, I think simpler, I think simpler version control, because I mean, Time Machine offers some version control. Uh, you can go back to a specific point in time. Yeah, for one person. Right. But you can't branch off. You can't incorporate someone else's changes. You can't have like uh, a, a, a branch that diverges and tries a different approach to something and then rewind it back to another branch that had meanwhile split off. Yeah. 
Um, that's the more advanced type of version control that I think a lot of people, if they had the tools to make it uh, grokkable, that, that they would benefit from. Yeah, and I think the collaborative writing is very close to being there with like Google Docs and some of the other, you know, Quip and some of the other third-party services that are good at that. But, but the type of like, you know, forking text and the benefits of that, I don't think that's out there yet. I mean, I don't think people have really realized that's even a possibility. Yeah, there's going to have to be something that makes it just super accessible. Yeah, maybe that's what you do after NV Ultra. <laughs> I mean, you <laughs> well, like uh, you'd be uniquely qualified to make that. I mean, I think you know, I I I've been getting better at putting my brain into the position of a normal person. Okay. And figuring out how to make things accessible to people who maybe don't have the the tool set that I've acquired. Oh, it's like I know how to use the terminal. I've I've watched your videos on it. I've read books on it. I can get by, but I don't like look forward to it. I don't want to, and I don't do it enough to be conversant in it. You know. And I wouldn't call you normal by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but that is a very normal response to the command line. Yeah. So even for a power user. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just got it got to be something you do every day to make sense. And and I, you know, to me it's always been about I want to create stuff. I don't want to work spend my time working on the tools to create stuff. Right. And um so that's that's where it, I hit the you know the speed bump with some of this stuff. For me it's just, you know, it's not that complicated. It's just really me for most of the stuff and then I send it off to the editor and and we get it back and I've got an editor I trust. So I don't need to see, um, you know, like a track changes kind of situation, but right. But wouldn't it be nice if there was something like that, that would be easy to implement and use plain text as opposed to like a word processing and all of the, the overhead that comes with that. There was a really cool app, uh, for writers. I think it was called like text control or something. It's gone now, but it actually, completely hid the git subsystem that it used but it used git archives to store automatically store revisions of any type of file you were working on nice and and would show you like diffs between versions so you could see what changed and when and let you rewind and and merge different copies and it it did a great job of you never had to know you were using git it gave you an interface specifically geared towards writing that gave you all this power without making you think about it. I know that Steven is listening to this going like, I missed this week. And of course he went straight into text. <laughs> <laughs> Any other apps uh, making you happy these days? Uh, most of the apps I use are for development. Sure. So they're not super accessible, but uh, I, there's an app called CodeKit, and for web developers, uh, I, I run into a lot of projects where I don't necessarily need to set up a whole Webpack grunt gulp situation. Which are, if those words made sense to you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, CodeKit makes it super easy to set up uh, workflows that will like automatically uh, compile and compress your CSS, your HTML. Uh, lint and compress your JavaScript and create your distribution folder. 
and make it all part of a, much like Tower, puts a graphic interface on it. Uh, it's one of those apps that I think is just really well built to uh, create an abstraction layer between the command line and uh, the actual work. I appreciate apps that do that elegantly. Yeah. Well, you know how hard that is. I do. So Brett Terpstra, Envy Ultra soon. Yes. And, and currently, EnvyUltra.com will continue to be uh, updated with the latest features and things as they are completely... We're adding some features right now that may or may not make it into final release, much the way Apple always has. But the resolved ones will be... You can kind of stay up to date there and add yourself to the mailing list and we'll put out uh, notifications now and then. Yeah. And I will be following along as well. I'm going to definitely write about it at Max Sparky when it comes out. We'll talk about it in the show. It's, uh, it's just such a great thing that you've been able to get this this thing almost... You're at, you can see the goal line. So I, I yep. think it's going to happen. I mean, I'm, I know I'm using it's going to happen. So uh, uh, if anybody out there is listening and, and remembers using NB Alt and they haven't for a while, get yourself on the beta, get the app when it gets released. It gives you exactly what you remember, you know, quick access to your text notes and the lightning ability to create and search them. I'm so happy for you, Brett, that you, uh, you and Fletcher are working together. It's, it's great chocolate and peanut butter. It's a dream job. Yeah. Well, I, I hope it's super successful because I want to see version 1.1 and version 2 and all the things you have up your sleeve. And if you, uh, gang, if you're listening, you haven't been over to brettterpstra.com lately, you should. Um, there's just always great stuff there. Like I recently had to set up a laptop I hadn't, and I didn't have the Terpstra approved markdown services. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Brett made these list of services. You can download them from his website and you right-click on any text and you can add your markdown whatever to it. I don't know how I get by without that, man. Man, I, SearchLink, have you ever used SearchLink? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, that actually ended up being a big part of my talk at Max.Cause uh, Max. it's my favorite thing I've ever created. I think people have kind of lost track of that in recent years about yeah. how much of this stuff you can automate and like services people aren't thinking about it as much, but with like the recent version of, of Mac OS, they've kind of added services to the finder now, you know? Yeah. As quick actions. Have you played with that much? A little bit. All right. Just, I, I already started signing off. So some people may have hung up already, but you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're going to lose out. Give me one that you're using as a quick action. Well, I've converted uh, like search link into a quick action at this point. Yeah, of course you have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So most of the ones I'm using are are my own. Yeah. Nice. Nice. We didn't get anything on that with Catalina, but the fact that they put it at all in the Finder with um, with the prior version, you know, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, brettterpster.com, gang. Any, are you active on Twitter these days? Where should people go to? Uh, yes, I am TTSCOFF, T-T-S-C-O-F-F, on Twitter and everywhere. I am very consistent. Yes. And uh, so brettterpster.com, markedapp.com, and uh, envyultra.com. Some great places to go to keep up with the stuff that Brett's making. Thanks so much to Brett for coming back on the show. Missed having you on. Glad to have you back, of course. Uh, Thanks we, for having me. We still me. talk about you and have to take our drinks. 
thanks to our sponsors today, ButcherBox, 1Password, Omni, and Squarespace. And we'll see you all next week.